Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Friends, let's pray. Holy One, with all of the questions on our hearts, we come to you today. Speak to us through scripture, speak to us through feeling, speak to us through these words or the meditations of our own hearts. May all of that voices be acceptable to you. Amen. So before I lived this life, this United Church Ministry, Hillhurst, Calgary life, I lived a different one. And on any given Sunday, you could find me not at church, but behind a laptop screen, although that actually is sounding pretty familiar right now. I would be writing an article for a local newspaper. Writing is my first passion. And I think this is primarily because I love asking questions. And being a writer really is just an opportunity to ask interesting people personal questions. So by the book, there are kind of three questions that journalists use to report on a story or to write a piece. And number one is, what happened? So I'm going to share a story with you. When I was 11, my family had one of those very typical 1990s street sales, a yard sale. You know, it had boxes of miscellaneous parts. There was a table of already mismatched Tupperware because surely someone somewhere was also missing a top or a bottom. And as an 11-year-old, it is always an opportunity when you have a yard sale to explore your potential entrepreneurial savvy. So my brother and I decided that we were going to host a lemonade stand, a classic choice. But after about three hours and very few sales, we decided we needed to get creative. So the second question a journalist might ask is, what caused it to happen? So my brother and I, we decided to take some smelly markers and construction paper, and probably because we were going through a Hardy Boys phase, we figured that we were absolutely qualified to offer our services for pay as private eyes. And within about two minutes, we had a business model that consisted of a handwritten sign and also a penny jar. $4, we said, $4 per mystery solved. $2 up front. I don't know where we got that from. $2 up front. And then $2 when we delivered the answer, our discovery. So the day carried on and very few lemonade sales happened. There was no interest in our business. And my parents started packing up. And just as they started packing up, our neighbors across the street came home from a day on the lake. They came over, they started rifling through the boxes. And Bob, I think that was his name, because that's always our neighbor's name. No offense if your name is Bob. He looked down as he came over to buy the obligatory glass of lemonade, and he read the sign. And he said, ah, investigators. And my brother and I nodded and we said, yep, we, we are that. And he said, well, I have use for you. It's like my crab apples, they keep going missing. And so Colin and I, my brother, we looked at each other and our eyes were alight with the possibility of our first customer and also probably the reality that we had no idea what we were doing. But we said, okay, yeah, we can do this. We can do this. And I stuck out my hand and I received a crisp $2 bill. There were still bills. 
And Bob turned away to cross the street and go back home. And Colin and I spent a couple of moments just whispering to one another. And no more than 30 seconds had passed. And Colin yelled out, wait, Mr. Bob, Mr. Bob, we've got it. And Bob turned around and he said, okay. And Colin said, yup, it's the damn raccoons. We got them too. And he stuck out his hand and he received the most reluctant invoice payment I have ever witnessed. The third question a journalist will ask is what does it mean? Curiosity is central to the human story, central to each of our stories. And yet we often stop short of asking the questions that really need to be asked. I'm not saying it wasn't the raccoons in this case, but the want to skip the work of asking and jump to affirming. It's not just a childish response to a potential $4, but it's the conditioned response to potentially digging up what we may or may not want to find. Or worse, what we may not be able to find. So often when we ask questions of ourselves and the world around us, we are seeking to confirm an already existing bias. I feel nervous. Why? It must be because I'm not prepared. I feel angry. Why? It must be because I've been wronged. I feel sad. Why? It must be because I'm lonely. We don't want to go deeper. We don't want to discover that we might believe we're unworthy. We don't want to know that there is an inherited belief we have that says, I can never do anything right. We don't want to dig so deep that we find out we've been living under the assumption we have to do it all ourselves. What we want is to dig so deep that we find out that we encounter peace, that there is peace. And what if we ask all of those questions? What if we do all of that digging and don't find it? Better to have not asked at all. So this week in our RAIN series, we are looking at the third step in our spiritual nurture practice of being present, the step Tara Brock names investigate. And the core question she asks is this, what am I believing? When I recognize this emotion and allow it to settle in, what then can I find out about what it's telling me I believe? And is that true? Is all of the stuff that's happening up here, above the line in that circle we saw last week, is that an accurate representation of what's happening down here? Can I see my soul at work in this? What happened? What caused it to happen? And what does it mean? I have, since the raccoon incident, learned to ask questions of the world around me as opposed to making grandiose conclusions of my own accord, although I probably still do that quite often. And this past week, I made it a practice to ask one question of everyone I encountered. If you were an investigative journalist, and had free reign and endless dollars to research or write an article on anything, anything at all, what would you want to sink your teeth into? What would you not want to stop short on? 
The answers were as varied as the people I asked. Endlessly curious people wanted to know, when will we return to normal? What would happen if we stopped asking our questions to people and instead asked them to the land and the animals around us? What would the elders wish to offer us? And could we sit at their feet and have their wisdom wash over us? What does how we value artists in society say about the state of humanity? How can we save the world? Thank you, eight-year-old Nicholas, for that. Who has done this life of less thing well? And what does being a person of presence really mean or look like? These are the things we are curious about. And in each of these responses, I learned deeply of the individual sharing them, not because they disclosed the self, but because in those responses, in that curiosity, in that golden spark, they disclose the soul, not the ego, but the essence. The questions we ask have the ability, if we let them, to lead us not only into our purpose, but into our present. The place where we can be at peace, knowing that the circumstances of out here are not what determine love's love of us. When Tara Brock invites us to investigate, she's inviting us to drop beneath our analytical mind's finding above the circle and into the findings of our faith. And these findings are what help to connect all of our human experiences with the presence of the divine. When we stop looking for what we want to find and instead are patient enough to allow the story to emerge from our bodies and ask it what it means, what it wants from us. We can catch a glimpse of the peace that comes from knowing there is no knowing, but always a being known. In John's message last week, he talked about these four kinds of I am stories we tell ourselves, the stories from our past that say, I am an idiot or I am a failure. The stories about our future that say, I am doomed or I'm going to die. The stories about others that say, I'm not at fault or I am so much better. And the stories we tell about ourselves. I'm unlovable. I am totally unqualified. And John mentioned the refrain from Jesus' baptism that maybe, just maybe, we could adopt as our own in times like this to allow ourselves not to hide or numb, but to continue on that rain journey, that journey of presence. Can we soothe ourselves with God's words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And as I was sitting with that mantra this week and sitting with this concept of investigation, I couldn't help but think of one more I am story. The one we heard read earlier from the book of Matthew, a story that might allow us to enter into this practice of investigation with confidence and the Spirit's wisdom. Jesus spends his ministry asking questions, 307 of them, depending on who you ask, but very little of his ministry is spent providing answers to the questions he asks. He speaks quickly and he moves on to the next thing. He speaks in parables. He leaves us hanging. He disappears after dropping the mic to go off and pray. And he trusts. 
He trusts to each individual the discovery of their own relationship with compassion, with love, with that great I am. And in our scripture today, we meet that investigative Jesus. We meet him in the middle of a conversation with his disciples, and he asks them first, who do people say that I am? That's an easy one. They respond with a raccoon. Easy. They say you're John the Baptist. They say you're Elijah, or some people say you might be Jeremiah. They say you could be a prophet. And Jesus invites them then to not answer a question, but to ask one of themselves, who do you say I am? Getting to the underbelly of what we feel in the heat of the moment, what we think we're supposed to know, what others might want us to say, what we aren't sure we want to admit. This is the hard work. It's the work of the shadow, the parts of ourselves that psychologist Carl Jung says we suppress below that line in the circle. We suppress because we want to repress or reject these parts of ourselves, our hurts, our shames, our guilt, our desires. But when we do this, shadow work. When we investigate ourselves beyond what we think or hope to be the case, we cast light into that valley of darkness in ourselves and we begin to pick through the things we never even knew were weighing us down or holding us back. Tarbrock suggests a list of questions that we can ask ourselves to help us get there. She says, you can ask yourself, what's the worst part of this? What's the most painful thing I'm believing about myself? What emotions does this bring up in me? Are these feelings familiar? Have I been here before? If the most vulnerable part of me could communicate, what would it express right now? When Jesus asks this question, I imagine the disciples had to take a moment and ask themselves some of these very questions as well. What do I think is true here? Do I dare speak it? Do I recognize this person? Do I recognize what they're asking of me? What answer does my soul long to speak? If I say what I think, then, well, what then? And when Jesus asked this question, I imagine he too had to take a moment and say to himself, what is the worst thing they could say? What might the consequences be if they don't get it? What if I haven't taught them what I need to? What if they aren't ready to follow me to the end? If they say something I'm not prepared for, what then? It is brave to ask questions about ourselves of another. And it is brave to ask questions of ourselves. What happened? What caused it to happen? And what does it mean? Our longing to get to the bottom, to know what and why and for what, that might be the invitation to live well in the world that we need. In this passage, We see all of this take place. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus blesses him, says he has allowed his faith to lead him towards the truth. Each of us has the ability to see things through this lens of faith, this lens of truth, this sense 
of presence. The theologian Howard Thurman writes that we are all of us deeply involved in the throes of our own weaknesses and strengths. And these are often expressed in the profoundest conflicts within our own souls. The only possibility of stability for the person is to establish an island of peace within one's soul. Here, one brings for review the purposes and dreams to which one's life is tied. There is no pretense, no dishonesty, no adulteration. What passes over the threshold is pure. He says, within that island, that island of peace, is the temple where God dwells. And not the God of the creed or the church or the family, but the God of one's own heart. What a person is, what their plans are, what their authentic point is, where their life goes, all of that is available to them in the presence. To discover that island of peace in our own souls is to take a break from the swirling noise of our conclusions and affirmations we have made for ourselves and instead to be still and question, really question, who do you say? I am. A minister friend of mine in Vancouver told me a story about his ordination interview in which they asked him a question he was super prepared for. The question was, who is Jesus to you? And he thought that was easy and he rattled off an answer and felt like he'd nailed it. But then they turned the question on its head and they asked him, who are you to Jesus? Part of being this body of Christ, as we call it, a community of lightworkers and healers and compassionate risk takers in the world. Part of that is assuming the authority bestowed on us to ask these same questions of Jesus to ourselves and right back to God. In those 3 a.m. moments, in those times of fear and trembling, in those times of ignorant dismissal, in those times of despair, in those times of shame and sticking our head in the sand, we get to ask Jesus right back, who do you say I am? We get to ask our souls, who do you say I am? We get to ask our future selves, our childhood selves, who do you say I am? We get to ask our closest friends, our nemesis, our colleagues, our mentors, our siblings, our ancestors, our elders, and we get to ask ourselves, who do you say I am? So friends, my prayer is that you practice asking that question this week. Ask it of the streets you walk and the board tables you sit down at. Ask it of the snow that falls. Ask it of that gnawing feeling in your gut. Ask it of the wise ones in your life and ask it of God. Who do you say I am? And let that question, let it stand for itself. Let it ring out into the valleys of darkness, pierce all of those shadows. Let it rattle off the sides of the walls you have built up and let it Echo back to yourself the present truth. Who do you say, I am? I am. I am. I am. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.